Welcome to Real Estate Hackers, where you'll hear how real estate investors grew something from nothing. Property management is going to become more technical. Our entire business today is based off of a hack. What if you could put $1,000 into an apartment building project on your phone? With YouTube, with podcasts, you can catch up very quickly to a seasoned investor. Now here's your real estate hacker host, Chad Gallagher. Welcome to the Real Estate Hackers Show, where we talk to actual investors who use systems and tech to scale out their business and where they see this all going in the future. Before we get to this week's guest, a few words from our partners and friends of the show. Welcome to Real Estate Hackers, where you'll hear how real estate investors grew something from nothing. Property management is going to become more technical. Our entire business today is based off of a hack. What if you could put $1,000 into an apartment building project on your phone? With YouTube, with podcasts, you can catch up very quickly to a seasoned investor. Now here's your real estate hacker host, Chad Gallagher. Welcome to the Real Estate Hackers Show, where we talk to actual investors who use systems and tech to scale out their business and where they see this all going in the future. Before we get to this week's guest, a few words from our partners and friends of the show. This show is brought to you by Slate House Property Management. Slate House manages over 3,500 units across the Mid-Atlantic, including Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Maryland. Property management is sure not the sexiest industry, but what makes Slighthouse unique is it was founded by investors and engineers. Slighthouse has built or licensed over 12 different technologies to improve returns for investors and make better living experiences for tenants. Full-time maintenance guys help work get done quicker at a reasonable price. Slighthouse manages properties for many of the guests on this show and has helped them scale their business while they focus on acquiring properties. For more information, go to slatehousegroup.com, call 717-413-6976, or email service at slatehousegroup.com. Look forward to talking to you. Hey guys, I'm Chad Gallagher, your host of the Real Estate Hackers Podcast. I am super pumped to introduce our amazing guest you're about to hear, Ed Hale. Ed spent his life in Baltimore and may very well be the most interesting guest we've actually had on the podcast. And let me tell you, we've had some amazing guests so far join us. Ed started off founding a company in the shipping and trucking business, starting his own company in Baltimore in a neighborhood called Canton. He later developed much of the Canton waterfront, was recruited by the CIA, that's right, the CIA, was CEO of a major bank, and even owns an indoor soccer team. That's right. This is not your average dude. I'm so pumped that Ed's joining us. Can't wait till you get to hear his story. Here's Ed Hale. I guess what I want to start is, could you talk me through your first major real estate deal? Well, you know, I got out of the uh, Air Force in 1968, August 15th, 1968. That was 52 years ago. And, uh, uh, I went to work for a trailer rental company, worked for them for a while, did very well. I was making a lot of money. Uh, I was in my like early 20s and uh, somebody told me they needed a, tr a trucking company to take trailers from point A to point B and they didn't have anybody. I said, let me figure it out. So I did and I figured out how to deliver these trailers that I had rented to them. So I started my trucking company just like that and it was 19... It was like 1975. So 68, get out of the Air Force, 1975, I started this trucking company from scratch. And, uh, you know, started making, back then, probably making 100 grand, 200 grand. I don't even know what that is today, present value. Serious money, though. It was serious money. And I needed a place. I was running a place from the railroad and I needed a place for my own. So I bought what is now the Canton Maritime Park. Yeah. Right at Boston and Clinton Street. It was 5.35 acres back then. 
uh, you know, there's a picture behind me here of what it looked like. It was, it was a dump. It literally was a dump where people would throw coal ash and junk cars and refrigerators. Now, now for anyone who doesn't know Canton, uh, it's on the kind of eastern side of Baltimore. That park right now is a beautiful, beautiful park. Yeah. Sits right in the water. Uh, but but back then you're saying I mean you you bought it for if I remember right yeah I, I the total amount I got an SBA loan I put my knee pads on went down to the SBA <laughs> and uh, got a got a loan and I was a veteran at the time and or I still am I'm a vet and I went there and I used that whatever I could to do it it took a long time and I got the money and I bought this property for like a hundred thousand uh, right? you know I bought that for with all in I had a loan of two hundred fifty thousand dollars okay. So I'm there and uh, Mayor Schaefer, who I did not know because I was just a, you know, a guy running a small business right. uh, that was getting bigger, by the way. And uh, he sent somebody over to see me and said that the mayor wanted to buy the property. I said, well, why does the mayor want to buy this property? Well, it's going to, this is an unbelievable statement. And I really mean unbelievable. He said, he's going to make this the Gold Coast. He was doing the Inner Harbor which was all dilapidated piers. Yeah. Going to do the Inner Harbor, not Inner Harbor East. I'm talking about the Inner Harbor. Right. And it's going to have a promenade that's going to start right at my property and go all the way around to Fort McHenry. So that didn't exist back then. Did not exist. You couldn't no. walk along the no, harbor. No, no, no. You would, you know, you couldn't do it. It'd be impossible. Yeah. So it was his idea to do it. And I thought, this is unbelievably, this is, this is crazy. I said, I just got this SBA loan. I can't, I don't have a place to go. Well, the mayor doesn't like to take no for an answer. You're going to have to go see him. So I put on a suit and I go down to City Hall. So, and I've told this story thousands of times too, Chad. Uh, you know, I go there and I'm nervous because I'm going to see the mayor. I've seen him on TV and interviews and stuff, and he's a very imposing guy. And he says, uh, "And you're what? You're you're like 28? Yeah, 30? yeah, I'm, I'm not not even 30 yet." And he says, uh, you know, I understand you're playing hardball, boy. I said, well, your majesty, <laughs> he's sitting in the ceremonial room. I said, listen, uh, you know, I've got this property. Uh, you know, I'm going to make something of myself one day. Uh, yeah, and I'll find a place to go. And when I do, I will sell you the property. But I can't now because I just moved there six months ago or something. He said, well, I'm going to hold you to this. He says, you're a man of your word. I said, yes, sir, I am. So about a year later, I found another place, the Champion Brick Factory in Rosedale, and I bought it out of bankruptcy. And uh, so I got that set and I went back to City Hall and I said, uh, you know, Mayor Schaefer, I got at this place and I want to be treated properly on the, uh, on the sale of my property. And you had no idea what he was going to offer you? No, no idea. And he said, well, we have a real estate department. We'll do an appraisal and uh, do some comps and we'll just like you would do it today. They came back and paid me $2,300,000 for my $250,000 property. So that's when I became Ed Hale. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it is truly remarkable. So that was my first really big real estate deal. What, what went through your head when you heard that number for the first well, time? Well, I, I remember walking out. I was uh, someplace downtown with the city lawyers, and I walked outside, and I didn't have a lawyer. I walked out, and I had a check in my hand for $2,069,000. Which which. Nat present day is probably 20 million. Yeah, right? Oh, yeah, easy. Yeah. You know, I can't even, I don't even know what, I'd like to be interesting to find a computation. Yeah. So I did that and um, I walked out and I'm like, what, how can this be, really? And uh, it took a couple of years before, you know, I'm driving around the Beltway. I remember like it's happening now. I'm on the Beltway and, you know, I knew I was going to invest my money, 
but I didn't know what I was going to invest it in. Ended up doing barges and tugboats and more trucks. But uh, at the time, I'm driving around and I'm building this uh, transportation network. And uh, I thought, holy shit, I'm rich. And like, I didn't even realize it. You know, it just never, right. I never even thought about that. <laughs> but I knew that I was, you know, like, didn't have to worry about sort of anything anymore. And, uh, but I just love playing the game much like you do. Yeah. And we were talking about before we got on here. Yeah. What and, an awesome feeling. Yeah. So, so you, you made this money. I think some people would have ran off to the Bahamas and mm -hmm. called it a life. You were just getting started. No, no. I, you know, listen, just to put this in perspective, uh, you know, I'm, I turned 55 and uh, my father is, uh, my father and I never really got along at all, ever. And we're, I go over to his house. It was my 55th birthday. My mother made me a cake or something. And, and he says, at 55, I was retired. This is my father talking to me. I said, really? I'm just getting started. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> really? So, and I meant it, you know, and I'm 72 now and I'm not, I'm not giving up now. I mean, I just like, I like doing what I'm doing. That's awesome, man. I think, I mean, I, you meet so many people who at, you know, when the, when the clock strikes five, they can't wait to get out of the office every day. Mm -hmm. And I just think, what a sad way to, I mean, you're the exact opposite, right? I mean, right. You made a ton of money at 30, easily could have retired, called it quits. Right. Um, but you just love what you do. Right. And yeah. I'll tell you something else that happened too. You know, I got, uh, you know, all, you know, so I'm, I'm from born in Highland Town, grew up in Edgemere, went to Sparrows Point High School. I thought, you know, if you become a rich guy, you got to get a yacht, which I did, a jet, which I did, uh, houses and I had a house in the Caymans, house in Maine and all these things. And I just thought that, you know, I like working too much. I never got a chance to use them. So I just got rid of them all systematically till, you know, I now have my place down on the Eastern shore Yeah. and, uh, you know, I just love it. But I got rid of all that stuff. And I thought, is that all there is to this? Right. And uh, that's the truth. And I just like, you know, first off, I don't like hanging around blue bloods at all. I like worker people. I don't like people to clip coupons. As a matter of fact, I like getting after and competing with uh, the people yeah. that are the blue bloods out in the valley. They don't like me and I don't like them. I really don't. And uh, so- I mean, You seem at home here, right? I mean, yeah, oh, yeah. look at I mean, we're in your office right now. You got just all sorts of amazing things up in the walls of things you've done, all different industries. Yeah. Well, here's, here's one of the things that, uh, you know, I built, built a tower in Canton, it's half a million square feet. I put $41 million of my own cash into the real estate, that into that project. So I'm up there and I, I have a house or an apartment penthouse on the top of it, 10,000 yeah. square feet. Yeah. So I'm there for about two weeks. I thought, look at me, whoa. Two weeks later, I'm like, what am I doing here? <laughs> I'm serious. And I've told a lot of my friends that and it's the truth. So how, that, that tower story is, is one that's really interesting. So you, at that point, you did you own a bank when you built well, that? Well, I did a hostile takeover of the Bank of Baltimore. It was trading on the New York Stock Exchange. They were underperforming, and I attacked them, and I won. And I became the chairman of first of uh, Bank of Baltimore. Uh, sold it. The stock was like four dollars and thirty-two cents when I took it over. Then I sold it for twenty dollars and seventy-five cents in like two years. Wow. So there was a, another big hit. You know, I knew nothing about banking except for sitting on the other side of the desk from these people that would go, <laughs> you know, and look at me like I'm some kind of something on their shoe, but they would loan me money because I was a good credit. And uh, so I was always on the other side of the desk. Then I became a banker. 
And then, uh, you know, people, you know, you're a young guy, but uh, back when I started this, 1995, when I started First Mariner Bank, people called me the Robin Hood of bankers because I wasn't, uh, you know, I wasn't stuffy or pretentious. I would basically talk to anybody, and I did. And if I remember right, you were a little more, you were willing to give out loans to maybe some folks who other bankers wouldn't work with. Right. Yeah, that's true. You know, because uh, the, the reason I attacked the Bank of Baltimore was, uh, you know, they they said, we'd like to loan you money. And I was borrowing 26 million bucks at the time for accounts receivable loans, real estate, ships, mortgages, uh, you know, behind you over here, I got pictures of barges that I built to Bethlehem Steel. There was a few million here, a few million there. So they said, we're going we're gonna to approve this and we want you to come to the Bank of Baltimore. And uh, all of a sudden they just said, you've been turned down. I never got a call back from the guy that was the chairman of the bank. Why? Well, I found out when I took him over that uh, they thought I was in a grimy business. Yeah, so that just further inflamed you know, my opinion of people that were born on third base and think they hit a triple. Right. Yeah, and you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. You know, you, 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 you're yeah, going to. You, you came from the ground up. Yeah, and these people were born on third base and think they hit a triple. And I just did not like them. I didn't respect them. I couldn't wait to compete with them. And you did well. I mean, you yeah. you built up the bank. Right. Uh, eventually built that that tower. Was that right. part of when you owned the bank? Or yes. It, it was part of when I owned the bank. You, the you bank put the headquarters was, in there? Yeah, the headquarters was put in there. Care First is, was put in there. Hopkins, About Faces, a whole bunch of really good tenants. The mistake that I made was I, I did this off-site uh, system to do uh, heating and cooling. I was talked into it by this engineering firm and it turned out to be a, a grievous mistake that I made listening to them. And that, you know, caused me to get back when the mortgage work, you know, when the mortgage problems all started like 2007, eight, nine, mm-hmm. you know, they came and they, people started to uh, come and say, Hey, listen, you got to sell this building. So I did. And uh, so I sold it to what is now COPT. And uh, that was a big mistake I made. The other mistake I made was relying on this mortgage, couple of mortgage presidents that I had at my bank. Now, you know, I'm, I'm the chairman, yeah. I'm the CEO, yeah. and I had different divisions. And one of them was the mortgage business. And we were doing between a billion, you know, somewhere around a billion dollars in mortgages, like gentrifying Canton, First Mariner Bank was all over that. Uh, but we did a lot of really good mortgages, but we did some really bad ones and got too far out of our lane down in uh, Northern Virginia. And I lost a lot of money and I have nobody to blame but myself because I'm at the top of the org chart. Right. And I had people that were working for me that were just stupid. This is like 2006 to 2010. 2006. uh, I would always ask these guys, I said, we're doing all these mortgages and we would sell them to Bear Stearns, Lehman Brothers, uh, other people. They started sending, and I said, they're not going to come back. We sell them. They're never, there's no recourse. They're not coming back. Well, I got $88 million of them back. And that would put a big chunk in my, hit my equity. So I got into trouble like many local banks did with the FDIC and the Federal Reserve. Yeah. You know, I don't hide that. You know, it is what it is. Yeah. They were the two of the biggest mistakes I ever made. Looking back, how... What, how would you advise yourself, you know, 25 years ago? What, what would you have, or 30 years ago, you know, the, the younger Ed Hale, uh, what, what, what kind of advice would you give? 
Well, I had these uh, two guys in my mortgage that were the presidents of my mortgage company that were peacocks. You know, they were, you know, Rolexes and silk suits and all that, you know, everything I didn't like. Yeah. You know, I'm an outdoor dog. I like to hunt and fish. These guys were totally, you know, cocktail parties. Right. And, you White know, collar. Oh, big time. You know, yeah. and I didn't really like them. And I would say, you know, we're not going to get these loans back. No, sir, we're not getting them back. And they would say that to my full board. Um, and then they would say, uh, you know, we're, we just got this new operation down in Fairfax, Virginia, and we should buy it. And we're going to do this and do that. I would have, I should have not listened to them. And because I didn't particularly care for them, as a matter of fact, particularly care, I'm being polite. I couldn't stand them. And I should have uh, paid more attention to this. And, uh, but I do accept responsibility for it. And I got hit letting these people do it. Yeah. What, um, let's talk about a little bit why Canton. I mean, at the time when you invested in Canton, Canton wasn't what Canton is today in Baltimore. How did you have the foresight to see what would come? I mean, you bought a ton of land in there, which has made you a ton of money. Um, you know, Canton is is arguably one of the nicest parts of Baltimore right now. Well, I think it is the nicest part. I yeah. think it, and it, what's, what you're going to see here, Chad, you know, and I, pro I probably will live long enough to see it. There's going to be billions of dollars worth of uh, development there. Uh, it's already public. Uh, COPD is going to do 1.2 billion on the waterfront. So you think it's not done yet? Oh you think no, we're just not even started? not even close. Um, there's already been probably, I would say, half a billion or more. Merritt's going to build a 200,000 square foot building. Um, Cop's going to do a 1.2 billion dollars worth of development on the waterfront. So how how do you see this coming? I mean, uh, I I really didn't see it coming. <laughs> I, I really didn't. I put my trucking business over there because logistically, uh, I could put my park my tugboats and barges there. It was on the waterfront, and I had big riparian rights there. So I did that, and then I could put my trucking company there because I was two minutes from I ninety five, and I was a east or when I was in the east side of the country, north to south on ninety five was the primary roadway that I would use. Uh, for example, you can get on the Dundalk Marine Terminal, Seagirt Marine Terminal, and hit one light before you hit Chicago. Think about that. That's it. So, you know, I was thinking logistics. So, uh, you know, it, it was just a great location. And then while I was there, you know, the views, the vistas of looking, I always, this is something I've always practiced, always whether it was in New York, Philadelphia, I don't care where I was, I developed all over. I would buy across, and Norfolk is a, another prime example. On the other side of the river, looking back at the skyline, it's better than being in the skyline, looking at the crappy spot on the other side of the industrial areas. All right. Think about that. You know, the views that I have at the tower were just- Stunning. It, it was, I think yeah, I mean, the best. Merritt has their pool up on the top there. It's, the views are just amazing. Have you been there yet? Yeah, yeah. yeah I hear it's nice. It's beautiful. It's yeah. stunning. Well, I used You're to right. own that building. So, yeah. so you know, I I just didn't I didn't know it was going to be like that. So it started out being a logistics play, yeah, right? And, and then, then over time, you start to realize, wow, there's there. This is a commercial place waiting to happen. And when I first bought it, there were railroad tracks right through the middle of Boston Street. Nobody went on Boston Street. It was like the Burma Road. It was just terrible. <laughs> And uh, there some of those tracks are still there, actually. The, the old like trolley tracks. Yeah. Well, they were they were really rail, you know, 
regular freight liner oh, wow. tracks. Oh, wow. And there would be box cars in the middle of the street and you'd have to go around them. <laughs> you, you can't make this up. Yeah. And I, well, I've got the pictures here to prove it. So, uh, you know, I have this, I've chronicled all this stuff from 19, pictures I got from 1920 to when I bought it in 1977 to what it is now. Yeah. And uh, it's going to continue. If you were, if you were my age, you're just trying to invest in Baltimore. Um, what's a, what's a part of the city that you would, would you, would you where would you invest? Or what, what, what's your kind of outlook of where? Well, you know, one of the most beautiful places I think in Baltimore is Druid Hill Park. Now that sounds crazy, but Druid Hill Park and is got these beautiful houses over there and it's going to disrepair and it's, it's very dangerous and all that sort of thing. But things cycle. Now, I would take a look at possibly doing some stuff and you know, buying them, you know, a person like you buying them, you know, fixing them up and renting them. Yeah. But you have to be careful with security there because of the way things are in Baltimore. Right. I don't have my head in the sand, but, you know, everybody knows what's going on in Baltimore. You know, I'm asked about, are oh, you live in Baltimore? Are you okay? Uh, and what? But that place is beautiful. It's very yeah. nice. And uh, I think that's a good area. Canton is a good area. And heading towards east from Canton into Dundalk, it's all the water. There's a lot of waterfront there. It's going to keep going. Yeah, it's good. That's, yeah, I, I totally agree. I think yeah. uh, if, if you know, I was your age, that's probably the play that I would probably make it safer than going to Druid Hill Park, but I'd always watch that place. <laughs> like that. Hi, so you've, I mean, you've made so much across different countries, different industries. How, did, how are you able to scale at that level? I mean, I think... One thing we talk about a lot on this podcast is how hard it is to scale in real estate or logistics or, or anything you're doing um, in different regions. What was your what was your secret to kind of being able to scale and, and still have the success that you did? Well, I'm a multitasker. And um, in some cases, I was able to pick very good people to help me. And I still have a lot of those people around. And I have a bunch of them I'm still friends with you know, that worked for me for 30, 40 years. And uh, I, uh, I had the ones, for example, like uh, those mortgage guys, terrible. They were terrible. And uh, yeah, I'm not going to even mention their names because they're not worth even coming out of my mouth. But, mm -hmm. you know, I had other people that really helped me. But I was able to multitask. I'm a multitasker's multitasker. <laughs> and I know that's what you're doing right now. Uh, yeah. yeah. And you're trying to probably calm that down a little bit. I never did. It, when I took over the Bank of Baltimore, I literally had a trucking company, barge, tugboat, ships. Uh, I had the Baltimore Blast. Uh, you know, I, I then I'm a banker. I mean, did all those things, and then I ended up working for the government. But too. I imagine a, a lot of those things were synergistic, right? I mean, I think that's a lot how yeah, it was. Think is, you, know, you get into logistics, and all of a sudden now you're in real estate. There was a symmetry to what I was doing. Now, the bank, not so much. That pissed me off when they turned me down for a loan, and I took them over and fired them all. I did. That's great. It's like every every guy's dream or woman's dream, when you are mistreated by somebody, you just go in and clean house yeah. to, to the people that disrespected you. Yeah. It was great. It was one of the best times of my life. And then and then you, you got into the CIA? Is yes. That, 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 that's a true story. That None of this is – I mean, and some of your stories, it's like – like if you were to write a fiction book or something. Right. Uh, now, now you're in the in the CIA. Essentially, you were asked to join the CIA. Yeah, I was. I was asked to join uh, in 1992, and I was I was called a knock, not official capacity. So I'm working for the agency, helping 
if you get out of, uh, where'd you go to school? University of Virginia. Okay, you get out of Virginia or Princeton, schools like that. You know, they typically are recruited, guys like you were recruited to be uh, agents. And I would give them a card for hail trailer, hail container, port east transfer, or my bank or something. And I would send you with my credentials to go to Cyprus to look at things or to go to uh, Jordan. Or, Got it. So that's what I would do. So it kind of gave them a uh, a pass into the country. That's correct. As you if know, they're actually legally Right. And working. they would have my credentials and they would go. Then it got to the point where, you know, I would go. And when things got pretty big, you know. So yeah. you were actually doing some yes. espionage yeah, yourself? Yeah, but nothing like Jason Bourne or physical, <laughs> none of that. No, no, no. You'd be good at that, though. Uh, <laughs> I've had my moments, but not not during that that period of time. Any moments where you're scared? Huh? Any moments where you're a little, little nervous? Scared? Uh, not really. Uh, I was getting ready to go on one. My last mission was to go to the Republic of Georgia to meet the president of uh, the Republic of Georgia, a guy named Edward Shevardnadze. And he was the used to be the speaker uh, or the secretary general. Excuse me. He, he represented the USSR at the UN. He was a pretty famous guy back in the day. And he became the president of the Republic of Georgia. So I'm going to go over there and I'm going to literally, my task was to go buy the entire Soviet fleet that was in the Black Sea. So I'm going to go there and I'm going to buy the entire Soviet fleet. You know, some of them were, you know, sunken, some <laughs> were scrapped, some of them were taken for parts or parts were being cannibalized and some of them were actually running and I was going to buy them. And Because uh, the government wanted that stuff. The agency asked me to go do that. Okay. And they didn't give me everything, tell me everything, because there was plausible deniability on their part. Okay. Uh, a not official capacity is that I could be a grease spot in the desert someplace. And they would say, Ed who? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really? So, and there, there were other guys like me too. Now, it's not, they're not used anymore, but you know, I've been out of there since 2001. Okay. But uh, the guy that wrote the book about me called Hailstorm, uh, Kevin Cowherd, sort of like, are you serious? So I took him down to meet my boss and he was, you know, dumbfounded, you know, like, yeah. he was like, you know, not really, he believed me on the way home, took the train back up to Baltimore. He goes, Whoa, Jesus <laughs> Christ. And so anyway, you know, you know, did you pull it off? Did you buy the, no, the no. Uh, he got uh, six days before I was gone. He got ambushed and a couple of his bodyguards got killed. Oh my gosh. So, and then, 9-11 happened oh and they didn't need guys like me anymore to do it was just open warfare you know going right at the uh you know the countries that were involved and you didn't have to hide by you know going through me anymore okay so they just you know they asked they came back and asked me afterwards if i would wanted to do it but the people that i had worked with before were gone and uh I just didn't know the people there. So I didn't go. I did know the people that recruited me and oh. I was willing to do it. I was happy to do it. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. What, uh, what's it, what's your favorite story that maybe people may not know? Uh, something that, that you've done or happened in your life that, uh, story you like to tell that they think maybe doesn't get, uh, get told enough. Mm, what's it's kind of, uh, it's funny. Uh, coming in, on August 15th, it'll be 52 years that my grandfather 
taught me to be inquisitive, to read. He was the guy that really was unbelievable. And he was a great guy. He was the battalion fire chief. I think when I, you and I spoke, he was the battalion fire chief in Canton. He had Conkling, yeah. uh, Newkirk Street, and the one over at the Canton Park, which yeah. is now a coffee shop. Yeah. So he was doing that. And he says, you know what? You know, you should be reading. Even if you don't have a book, read something. Be inquisitive. You know, be enthusiastic. And so... I mean, he didn't have to tell me twice. I mean, I was, you know, I, I still read. I just finished a crappy book this weekend, you know, and, you know, I'm, I'm still doing this stuff and I'm still talking to, you know, I'm 72 and I'm talking to young guys like you. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I like it. I'm still, I'm interacting with a lot of people and I like it. So that was August 15th, 1966. So that's one, or excuse me, 1968 when I got out of the Air Force. He died that day, and oh, I. And on the day that I got discharged, it was a very, it was a one of those like a good day and a bad day. Uh, so that was uh, that was it was pretty it was a pretty big day in my life, and uh, you know because I, I really miss I miss him today. Yeah, he's over in Oak Lawn Cemetery on uh, Eastern Avenue. So, <laughs> so the day you get discharged, your grandfather, who you look up to, yeah, he died. So much from. He died that morning, wow. and and so I'm you know I was up at Massachusetts and. Uh, in Westover Air Force Base, I was a medic, and uh, I'm getting ready. To, did all my got discharged and got did all the stuff I had to do, and I'm getting ready to drive home. And I didn't have a job; it had nothing. Right. And I was looking forward to starting the rest of my life as a civilian. Yeah. And uh, he died. That was that was like one of those times in my life that really affected me. Wow. And uh, but then it became the start of what you yeah, launched yeah. into. I mean, you right. Didn't, you know, I, I was not afraid to, you know, go into something that uh, I wasn't really completely comfortable with or familiar with. Yeah, that's probably an understatement, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> kind of. Yeah. Probably, probably. I mean, you own a soccer team. We haven't even talked about that, but an, an indoor soccer team, which, I mean, I don't know if you're good at soccer before. Were, no, like, no, I never played. Never played soccer? No, no, I, you know, maybe gym class See, a couple times. <laughs> yeah. Why? I mean, how the heck do you own a soccer team? Well, back in the uh, late 80s, Baltimore was up for the Baltimore Colts left. I was a major Colt fan, loved it, and I got a little bit of money. So I thought, you know, maybe if there's going to be expansion in the NFL, I would uh, get a team and try to get a team. So I was one of a, like a cast of like five or six people to get a team for uh, for the expansion. Uh -huh. They didn't expand to Baltimore. They went the over, NFL. Yeah, right. the NFL didn't. So the guy that is the uh, was the county executive in Baltimore County, a guy named Dennis Rasmussen. Rasmussen and I went to Essex Community College together. We're just two dummies. And uh, he's the county executive, and I'm Ed Hale, the uh, business guy. And uh, he says, uh, hey, listen, Baltimore Blast is going to leave. And I'd ever even, I think I went to one game, and it was fun. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, they're going to leave and go to Cincinnati. I said, what? He said, why don't you buy them? It might be good for your resume that you own a team and you can learn about the sports business. So that was his rationale for doing it. And uh, so I did it. No due diligence, <laughs> nothing. And, uh, you know, Just I- like paid cash for it? I mean, what? Yeah, yeah, I did. And it was not a lot of money at the time. Uh, you know, a couple but hundred. But now you love it. I mean, it's- Yeah, I, I do. The Baltimore you know. Blast, they're, are, they're a, I mean, they have to, you have to be considered the best franchise in indoor soccer. Is that is that fair? Maybe ever. Maybe ever. Yeah. You know, and that's, it's a matter of, you know, it's, you could argue who was better, but we've won so many championships. You know, you've been to the games, you know, we, we I mean, go one, one thing I see about you that I just really respect is if you're going to do something, 
you don't go half-assed. <laughs> well, no, no, no. I, I really... Whether it's soccer or mm -hmm. trucking or the CIA, you know, if you're going to do it, and that, that seems to be kind of maybe a key to your success. I don't know. Is that you seem to be, you know, competitive and you're, you, if you're going to own a soccer franchise, you want to be the best. Right. Well, I, I, I buy the team and I'm thinking, oh, you know, listen, I own a soccer team and we, I buy it in 88, sort of 89, like early in the 89. So we're having a league meeting out in uh, San Diego. Never been to San Diego. So I figured, yeah, what the hell? I have a jet, go out. So I go out there and, you know, I'm there and I don't know anything about league business. So the commissioner says, uh, you know, we're going to have this meeting. It's going to start at nine o'clock. So I'm always on time. So I get there and the guy starts talking about, I'm a marketing expert. This guy, he's a, I'm an expert and we're going to do this. We're going to, we're going to get Pepsi, Coke, Ford, Chevy, all competing to get our business and all this. I said, well, how much are you going to be paid for, you know, your service? I mean, what, what's going to be the gross revenue and what are you going to be paid? What percentage? Right. Well, we're going to take 60%. You're going to get 40%. I thought, Hmm, this doesn't sound good. But so I'm sitting there, <laughs> I, I'm the newest owner. So I'm sitting there and, uh, uh, this thinking, is like a league-wide negotiation. Yeah, it's a league-wide. It was all the owners, like uh, the guy that owned the, the Dallas Mavericks before, Mark Cuban, okay. you know, people like that. So I'm sitting there with guys that have been in their season vets. You yeah. know, and, and I'm the new guy, and I'm in, I'm young at the time. And you know, so I'm like, okay. Uh, I said, so, excuse me, maybe my calculations are wrong and my maybe my decimals are in the wrong spot, but it looks like that. The take for Baltimore Blast, if you were to do that with Pepsi, would be $44. Is that $44,000 or is it $44? He said, no, nah. <clears throat> no, it's $44. And I said, what are we doing here wasting our time with you? And they made me the chairman the next year. <laughs> <laughs> they did. It was, it was pretty funny. Yeah, they were just... You know, they would go out there and it was a place to have a cocktail party. And, you know, I, I said, I'm going to make some business sense out of this. Yeah. So I've been trying to do it ever since. I really have. That's awesome. Uh, but also, by the way, I want to win every game. Danny Kelly's office is over here. Bart, Mike Conway, they're all these guys are over here. You know, Sharon Jabal is doing yeah, stuff for me. You've got, you got a serious, a serious oh, team. I mean, you've got uh, a serious team and I want it to be serious. We're going to have a pretty good team this year. We, we're pretty much signed up. I don't like to lose. Hate it. Hate it. I can tell. I love that. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, that, that's the thing that strikes me, right? Is that it's not, you're not driven by the dollars. You're not driven by the fame. Um, nope. You don't, could never, care less. You never really seem to be into an ego. It, it seems all, I mean, to me, everything I've known about you is really all about just wanting to win. That's it. And, uh, you know, I like playing the game too. I, I really do. I like playing the game. Yeah. And I, here's another thing people don't know about me. You know, again, I said earlier, I'm an outdoor dog. You know where I go every year? I go to the Arctic. I've been 34 years. In the Arctic? Of, yeah, I go up there and I just came back a few months ago. I go up there and, uh, you know. That's great, man. Yeah, I go up there and it's quiet. There used to be no internet. There was nothing. Now there's, you know, they have satellite phones and things in case you get dead or something. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, so I go up there every year and I just came back and I just love it. And I want to still make it. Uh, in the next few years, I can take my grandsons up there. My son's been there with me. That's awesome. You know, yeah, I want to take my grandsons up. Here's my last question. How how do you hope, I know you're close to your kids, you're close to your grandkids. How do you hope your grandkids describe you someday? 
Well, my I love my grandkids. You know, they, you know all of them. I got the five grandsons and one granddaughter, and my grandsons that are twins that are fourteen. They're six four. They're fourteen. They're huge, and uh, their you know, older brother who's fifteen is six two. He's he's a big kid, yeah. and they're you know I said I love you guys so much. Don't call me Pop Pop anymore. You can add another O in there. Poop poop. <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> And when they see me coming, they say, "Here comes the poop." <laughs> you know, it's just you know, we have a we have fun. There's no, but you know they they have to be mannerly. They have to be energetic, enthusiastic. The things my grandfather told me, I tell them. You know, you know they go down the farm and we goose up with all my friends. And do you talk? Do you do you try to teach them business? Oh yeah, you yeah. Learn so yeah. much about business, or well, you know, you try to just be the fun grandfather. No, I'm the fun grandfather, but I like to teach them manners. Like, uh, for example, you know, we all, you know, there will be 10 or 15 guys hunting at my farm. So we will fix breakfast. Everybody's got a job, all the, all 15 guys. So I get Leo and Charlie, my grandsons, they're named after their grandfathers. I said, uh, you know, I'm going to teach you the art of cheese eggs. You start off with cheese that smells like feet. So, you know, I try to make it fun and right, funny, man. but you know, they know how to make cheese eggs as well as I do and enough for everybody Yeah. and what portions to do and things like that. And then uh, one of them will clean up and one will make toast. One will do the sausage. You know, it's, stuff, it's just things like this. It's just like making your bed and things like this. They know what they have to do yeah. and they maybe, do it. Maybe they'll develop Druid Hill someday. Yeah, there you go. You know, it would be that if you ever get a chance, you know, it's your business too, Chad, you go, go for a ride out there. Just, Keep your windows up, but ride through and take a look at some of the great old architecture there. It was a Jewish neighborhood, and there's a you know a synagogue there called Beth Am, and it's beautiful and it's nice. It just it sounds like for those investors out there, Druid Hill in Baltimore, and maybe Dundalk, maybe just yeah. east of Canton, the next kind of wave right. of that waterfront. That's mm -hmm. your bet. That's you that's were, what uh, I would think would be. And who knows? Maybe you'll still make it. You tell me you're done, but I. No, I'm not done. <laughs> something tells me yeah. you're done investing, but something tells you you may still. No, uh, yeah, you know what I would I would still like to be involved in some certain things. If I own most of Greektown too, I don't know if you do that. No. Yeah, so I did, and. Uh, I sold it to, uh, and I had, we had, I had a partner. He took that. I took Canton Crossing. Make a long story short, I was going to do Canton, Brewers Hill, uh, Greektown, up to the, uh, across in Highland Town. There's an old factory there that's up for rent, a big, big one. I thought we could make that into something. And that's what I wanted to do. And then head east, farther east along Eastern Avenue towards St. Helena, Dundalk Avenue. A beautiful area. It's got water views. It's And most of that's happened. I mean, yeah, you, you, you were right that that yeah, was going to happen. Right. And, you know, it, yeah, I just had so many things going on at one time that I just couldn't. It's not that I couldn't, but I, I just didn't have enough time, I guess. Yeah. But I really wanted to do that. I mean, you still made a lot of money on Kenton. Let's yeah. just be clear. I mean, you. Uh, you well, I did okay with it. You know, mm -hmm. I made some mistakes. You know, on the uh, you know, I did this uh, utility distribution center. That was a big mistake, and I was advised by this engineering firm that openly said that they didn't know what they were talking about. Their insurance company paid me seven million dollars for Jeez. that statement. Yeah, you're mm -hmm. not. You're not been afraid to. Uh, Fire back at, Oh, no, uh, no. No, I'm a one thing that everybody will tell you I'm a hard ass, but I'm a fiercely loyal person 
and I'm a good guy to have as a friend, but I'm a terrible enemy. I really am. Yeah, I mean, you don't have to convince me. Uh, so <laughs> I'm sure the, the, the CIA chose you for a reason, right? I think well, they... they uh, you know what? They took me for my... They knew that I was kind of like a maverick and fearless, I guess. Yeah. But they also knew that I had their that I could give their people their credentials to go places to Uzbekistan or these out of the way places. Yeah. And there was a plausible reason for them to be there. If you graduate from the University of Virginia and you're working for IBM, they would know that you were a spy if you yeah. went there. Yeah. You are working for Hale Container Line, they're not so sure. Right. Awesome, Ed. I mean, what a fascinating story. I, I'm sure our listeners have been at the edge of their seat. I know I have been. Um, thanks so much for joining us. Mm -hmm. For all the wisdom you're able to pass through, um, I, you know, I've learned a lot. I continue to learn a lot from you. I really look up to everything you've done well, for the city you. of Baltimore. I think, I think sometimes people who are on the cutting edge, and I know people in real estate feel this sometimes. I know we do. Sometimes it's, e it's, it's always easier to kind of poke, poke at and, and, and prod at the mistakes um, oh yeah, you know, or to uh, criticize the people who are trying to do things that are well. Don't let people don't let people get you down with that because you know a lot of people are jealous of your success, Chad. They will. They're going to say, uh, you know, his daddy gave it to him or whatever. Just keep on keeping on. You know, to me, that's one of the things I could never quite grasp. I couldn't understand why people would be jealous of your success. I I would revel in it if if I'm your your wife, your mother, your father, you know, with what right. you're doing. You yeah, know, really. Yeah, no, and I know, and I think you've been treated the same way. I think some people obviously tell your great tales, but people have sometimes been willing to. I think any great leader has has people who are uh, want to criticize them, and uh, just the way you've kind of just kept on and just you know, I don't think you really give a shit actually. No, I really, <laughs> I really don't care what people think. You know, I I found out the hard way. Um, Articles like that art. There's an article, the first article ever written about me. That was 1977. Uh, they, you, you know, the Sun papers had to. No, I think it's pretty cool that I'm taking a piece of crap land. And yeah, that's amazing. The, I mean, what you did for Baltimore is just yeah, so awesome. Yeah, just I took a piece of crap land, but they had to go get another opinion. And I thought, boy, that's weird. You know, they should revel in my success. You know, I'm a guy that's come up from nothing. No, they they will criticize you. And there's just, that's just the way that it is. It's gotten even worse, by the way. Yeah. So anyway, you know, I wish you well. I really do. And awesome. I, I think it's pretty cool to watch too. Just stay in touch. All right. Thanks so much for joining us, Ed. Real Estate Hackers Podcast. Awesome stuff. We'll have another guest here next week. Thanks a lot. So that's our episode of Real Estate Hackers. Thanks for joining us in your real estate investing journey. We come out with fresh new episodes weekly. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And if you would, let your fellow investors know about us. Also, if you've ever hacked or found a unique solution to an issue in the real estate space, hit me up. We may even share your real estate hack on a future episode. Check out our site at realestatehackers.com, on Instagram, at realestatehackers, or email me directly at chad at realestatehackers.com. Real Estate Hackers is an on-air brands production. Huge thanks and shout out to Eric and the team at On Air Brands. Be sure to check them out at onairbrands.com. This is Chad Gallagher, your host of Real Estate Hackers. Hope to see you at our next meetup or live event. And who knows, you may even be the next guest hacker on our show. See you soon.